0: Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this is I'm the Guns reboot review, a podcast devoted to DC Comics Legion of Superheroes, specifically the reboot Legion, a second iteration of the longtime super team that was on comic shelves for the for a decade, from 1994 through 2004. Just a quick little note before getting into this week's content: it uh, was last week. Last week, one year ago, that I pushed out the first post on I'm the Gun blog, so that means I forgot to acknowledge that last week's podcast was the official first anniversary episode. So I'm just going to take a little sip here and uh, raise it up to Steve Savage, the balloon buster, DC's second greatest World War One ace, who was I'm the Gun's very first subject. Alright, the format of Reboot Review is uh, it's a quick recap of two issues from the same month, as the Legion's Adventures at the time ran through two titles simultaneously, Legion of Superheroes and Legionnaires, meaning that back in 1995, Legion fans got a bi-weekly dose of their favorite super future teens. This time out I'll be having a look at Legion of Superheroes number 69. And Legionnaires number twenty-six, both cover dated June nineteen ninety-five. Legion of Superheroes number sixty-nine sports a very striking cover by Alan Davis and Mark Farmer, featuring a headshot and a brain blast from the Legion's resident telepath, Saturn Girl. It's a storm of pink and pretty intense stare-down from from Imra. So this story is called Absolute Power, and it's plotted by Toms, Pyre, and McCraw, scripted by Mark Wade, penciled by Lee Motor, inked by Ron Boyd, colored by McCraw, lettered by Bob Pinaha, and edited by Mike McAveney and Casey Carlson. The action opens with a triumphant composite man, sending the Legion running with a blast of lightning. The composite man is from a race of shapeshifters from the planet Durla, like legionnaire Chameleon, but he's been genetically enhanced to actually assume the powers and abilities of those whose shape he borrows. His look borrows a little bit from each of the legionnaire's uniforms, making him a real menacing hodgepodge. Andromeda, from the planet Daxum in the most powerful legionnaire, has been sent away Because if the composite man copied her abilities, it it would be curtains for the team. Coins. She's been tasked with securing the battleground from high up in the clouds. When a science police ship approaches, she attempts to stop them for for their own protection. When they insist on proceeding, she flips the ship several miles away. Back at the action, Chameleon charges the... Composite Man is some giant beast, and uh, we get a little background. It was uh, Chameleon's family that had the Composite Man imprisoned, he says, for generations. And they used some secret method to dampen his powers. As the only one with any knowledge of that secret, Chameleon has moved to the top of Composite Man's hit list. Leviathan manages to extract Chameleon before that can happen, and the rest of the team manages to distract the Durlin while they come up with a plan. Cosmic Boy orders Saturn Girl to link telepathically with Composite Man, but she refuses. Having recently touched the mind of Chameleon, she doesn't think she can cope with entering another Durlin mind. This refusal annoys Cosmic Boy. Their relationship is kind of on the skid since Kaz excluded Imra from a recent mission. Through Interpreter Invisible Kid, Chameleon gives a little briefing on the Composite Man. He's one of three Super Derlins created by Durla's royalty, who happens also to be their spiritual leadership, and the bloodline of the Daggles. That's Chameleon's family. When this Derlin escaped, he killed all the priests present, including, unfortunately, Reap's father. Having the secret of deactivating Composite Man's powers, Chameleon quickly confers with Brainiac Five and Invisible Kid, giving them a formula to some magic goo. Cosmic Boy's plan, snidely criticized by Saturn Girl, is to have Speedster XS race away from the scene with Chameleon in tow, using the bait to draw Composite Man away from Brainy and Lyle's work. XS, wearing Chameleon like a backpack, zips through Metropolis, barely staying ahead of the the bad girl who's casting lightning and destroying a lot of property. XS takes to the air, but is amazed that Composite Man can follow. He's actually morphing the form and function of a Legion flight ring, Meanwhile, Brainiac and Invisible Kid are reluctantly given access to a science police lab. The relationship between the Legion and the science police has not been all that great, and it didn't help things that uh, when Andromeda sent that science police ship reeling. Anyway, the two brains whip up two jars of special formula, and Saturn Girl gives XS the telepathic OK to return to city center. A sonic boom announces the arrival of the two speedsters, Excess and the Durlin, and at just the right moment, Cosmic Boy magnetically launches the jars at the Durlin, and they crash and splash liquid all over him. He immediately hits the ground, writhing in pain, and does his best Margaret Hamilton and dissolves into a puddle of goo. Oh, what a world, what a world. Cosmic Boy comes over to console Cam, saying now his father can rest in peace, but Composite man, he, he ain't dead yet. He leaps from his puddle and attacks Cam. Cosmic Boy demands an explanation from Brainiac and Lyle, and Visible Kid slaps his forehead and gives kind of a, my bad. In translating the formula, Lyle neglected to calculate in Derla's base 9 counting system. Saturn Girl approaches the tangled mess that is the bodies of Cam and the Derlin locked in struggle and decides that uh, she may possess the only way of stopping the composite man. She'll have to confront her fear and enter the derlin's mind, which she does forcefully. This causes the derlin to release Cam and adopt its native form, a, a hooded being with tentacled hands, tentacled legs, and a tentacled face. Inside the Derlin's mind, Imra sees the decaying forms of her teammates. These are mental blueprints for the shapeshifter to use to copy not only their forms but their abilities when she sees herself she lashes out incinerating her doppelganger this forces her out of the Durlin's mind though this act has a pretty traumatic effect on both Imra and the derlin sometime later back at headquarters Kaz reports in with the science police who have composite man in custody Though they say they're going to bring him back to Durla, which doesn't make any sense to me, as he had just recently escaped from there. Uh, The SPs must have some way to keep him restrained. Oh well, well, we'll see how that goes. Invisible Kid drops by Kaz's office with Cam. They're off to Durla themselves to bury Cam's father. Lyle asks how Kaz is holding up. He's not taking Saturn Girl's situation very well. He regrets their last nasty interactions. A doctor interrupts saying they're, taking her now. Out in the hallway, a catatonic Saturn girl is being led away by some orderlies to a psych ward. Kazuk boy asks to be informed when there's a change. The doctor corrects, if there's a change. So this is a good conclusion to the composite man's story, a much more credible threat than the character who replaced the composite superman. Another interesting deviation from the previous continuity is Cam's lineage. Of course, it was a big deal that the old chameleon boy was the secret child of Legion financier R.J. Brand. Obviously not so in this timeline. But the fact that Cam comes from a long line of durlin royalty-slash-clergy gives his character uh, an interesting facet. On the creative side, it's interesting to see Mark Wade's involvement reduced from co-plotting this title to scripting duties only. He'd be on the Legion uh, only for a couple more months as the two titles hurled towards a, an explosive year-end finale. Legionnaires number 26 is by the writing team of Tom Pyre and Tom McCraw, drawn and cover-arted by... Jeffrey Moy and W.C. Karani, lettered by Pat Brousseau, colored by McCraw, and edited by the team of McAveney and Carlson. This story, called Authority, opens with a long, white-haired man walking through the busy metropolis spaceport. He wears the Saturn-shaped badge of a Titanian, meaning he possesses that moon's native ability of telepathy, like Saturn Girl, who's seen on screens throughout the spaceport under the headline, Saturn Girl, hospitalized, condition unknown. He approaches customs and, having no time or patience for the process, uses the old Jedi mind trick saying, My business is urgent, there will be no delay, which is repeated back by the SP officers at the gate. To emphasize or force home this joke, Jeff Moy draws a Jawa in the crowd. At Legion HQ, Spark kind of lost at her lost in her thoughts is on monitor duty. An SP officer reports in on a giant monitor screen that Andromeda is still missing, having not been seen since being sent away from the battle with the composite man. Spark is startled by a Suddenly there, XS, who shoves a small wrapped gift in her face. Isla has been receiving small gifts and poems from a secret admirer, and XS impatiently waits for her to open this latest surprise. It's a silver lightning bolt charm marked only with a tag that says, To Isla, from an admirer. This mystery is interrupted rudely by the stormy entrance of Ambassador Winnemawazo, who demands to know the whereabouts of her daughter, Apparition. XS says she doesn't know, and the ambassador says, Valor help her if Excess is lying. There's that name, Valor, again. Spark interrupts the tirade, saying that Wazo has no right to come here and push them around, but the ambassador counters with the fact that she's on the UP Appropriations Committee that helps fund the Legion, and... They haven't even seen what pushing around could be yet. This little exchange is a nice segue into apparitions whereabouts. She's perched atop the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., keeping an appointment with Ultra Boy. From Tinia's perspective, we can see that the White House is still there a thousand years from now, surrounded by Earth's last trees, I guess. We don't see too many of those in the 30th century. The White House is towered over, though, by several futuristic buildings. While she's waiting for the 48-minute late Ultra Boy, Tanya goes through the pros and cons of their fledgling relationship. She keeps coming back to the fact that uh, he has a girlfriend, Spider Girl, his teammate on Leland Macaulay's Super Team for higher Workforce. When Joe finally shows up, Tinya thanks him for the cactus that he sent last issue, uh, but tells him that she likes roses. So, I guess roses are still around too, as well as trees. Joe good-naturedly agrees that maybe a cactus was a dumb idea, but then Tinya starts fishing around for the, for the exact nature and depth of his relationship with Spider-Girl. Joe begins to deny that there is a relationship with her, and the conversation is mercifully interrupted by a communication from Joe's boss, Leland McCauley. An emergency requires Workforce's presence, and therefore, Joe's. And why doesn't he bring along Apparition? She may be of some use, and she can see how a real team operates. Joe doesn't seem to like that idea too much, but Tinya accepts, saying she'd love to see the old gang, especially Spider-Girl. In an EarthGov medical center, a catatonic Saturn-girl rests under the watchful eye of Triad, whom she seems to be sharing a room. Triad is still recovering from a vicious beating at the hands of the humanoid supremacist group the White Triangle. And Imra hasn't been the same since deactivating the composite man. Suddenly, the man we met at the spaceport arrives and basically ignores Lornu as he approaches Saturn Girl, resting his hand on her head. We see Lornu push a signal button on her flight ring just before getting the Jedi Whammy, leaving the Stranger at least some time to go about his business uninterrupted. On the planet Durla, Chameleon Invisible Kid lay Cam's father to rest. His body is lowered into a volcano while the two converse in Durlin. We aren't privy to their conversation, but Lyle does mention that whatever they have just spoken about should be kept away from their teammates, at least for the time being. Next, Ultra Boy and Apparition meet workforce outside what looks to be some warehouse. McCauley mentioned an emergency, but the team just seems to be milling around, waiting for their last member to show up. Team enters the warehouse to find that a group of bulky armored thugs are trying to make off with barrels of toxic waste. The armor these guys are wearing, maybe because of the blue and yellow coloring, reminds me of the horrible giant tin can suit Booster Gold was wearing just a year or two before this story came out. It's the kind of thing that belongs on a on the body of a nameless, faceless thug, not not on one of my favorite superheroes. Anyway, Workforce kind of bungles through the attempt to collar these guys, especially Inferno, who manages to release a big green sphere of toxic energy which one of the thugs says they'll use to kill every living thing in the region. The bad guy calls Macaulay, who's been present via video screen, a bad business partner, a line which gets a curious look from the members of workforce. Back at the medical center, the long-haired stranger with his hands on either side of Saturn Girl's head tries to pierce Imra's catatonic state. This attempt is interrupted by a very angry Cosmic Boy. The stranger, who introduces himself as Avon, Imra's mentor back on Titan, claims to be here to heal her mind. As a gesture of goodwill, he releases Triad from her stupor and asks Imra to speak up for his efforts. Cosmic Boy is surprised to get a smiling greeting from a suddenly awake Saturn girl. Were quickly made aware that all she's capable of saying is, Hello, Cosmic Boy. Hello, Cosmic Boy. Hello, Cosmic Boy. Back at the warehouse, the thieves explained that they belong to the White Triangle Group. Macaulay had sold them arms, and they assumed he shared their hateful ideology, but all Macaulay has ever really cared about was making a buck, or making a credit. So they were disappointed to learn that he'd been, all along, selling weapons to, quote, every gutter race in the UP. They decided then that no one was getting their hands on Macaulay's weapons store, except them, and they were willing to put these weapons to immediate use, beginning with the glowing green globe that one of them currently held aloft. These zealots were willing to sacrifice themselves in an effort to cause as much damage as possible terrorism is alive and well even a thousand years from now. Well, workforce member Karate Kid is having none of this. He kicks away the orb. It's intercepted by Ultra Boy, and a bit of a rugby match ensues. There's a tense moment as the dropped globe almost hits the ground, which would have been a disaster miles wide. But Joe just manages to get his hands underneath it while the rest of the team mops up the white triangle goons. After seeing firsthand the way Macaulay runs his business and with whom he conducts it, Apparition dares the members of Workforce to follow her example and get the hell out of there. Former Legionnaire Livewire takes takes that opportunity, saying he only joined because Macaulay promised to help find his missing brother. And that promise has so far gone unkept, so Garth storms away after frying Macaulay's video screen. Ivalvo claims it's just business. You know They're paid very well to follow orders, and that's what they do. This was touched on several issues ago. Karate Kid said as much. If anything, these, for the most part, good-hearted individuals are somewhat selfishly taking advantage of the opportunities employment by Macaulay offers, money, travel, the avoidance of the bureaucratic BS that the Legionnaires have to put up with. Apparition leaves with basically a shame-on-you, while a frowning Ultra Boy looks on, perhaps thoughtfully. Some of that bureaucratic BS is on display in the last scene of the issue. Cosmic Boy is on a video call with United Planets President Chu, along with Kinetics. Cosmic Boy's request to remove Kinetics from active duty has been denied. Kinetics had lost her powers Uh, as an editor's note tells us in Legion of Superheroes Annual number 6, which I'll be talking about next episode. Kaz cites uh, safety as a chief concern for Kinetic's dismissal, uh, but the president says she'd have a hard time explaining to the delegation from Aleph, Kinetic's homeworld, that their Legion representative was expelled, even if it meant her endangerment on a day-to-day basis. President Chu basically tells Kaz to deal with it and cuts off communication. Suddenly, the ceiling to the headquarters gives way, and Kaz is immediately put in a position to protect kinetics, magnetically shielding them both from tons of debris. The pair scouts the cause of the cave-in and and finds it. Lying on top of a pile of rubble, they find the crash-landed, unconscious body of Andromeda. So it seems that every month there is either an issue of Legionnaires or an issue of Legion of Superheroes that kind of jumps around a bit, dealing with various subplots laid out by the writing teams. That's this issue, this time out there, it was time spent on the White Triangle plot, the Tinia joe relationship, the Legion's continual battle with United Planets red tape, and uh, hints at a few newer threads like Spark's Secret Admirer and whatever's going on with Chameleon. This is how I, the Legion, I think, is always handled best. Such a huge cast, but time devoted to its various members in small doses, building stories slowly until they explode but always leaving a few tasty crumbs waiting for development. At its best, at its core, the Legion is a soap opera. A space soap opera that I think its best creative teams always got. Paul Levitz was great at this, and I think Pyre and McCraw get it as well. Alright, next time out I'll be taking a look at Legion of Superheroes Annual Number 6, which will fill in a few details missing from this issue as well as two short stories from an anthology series DC put out at the time called Showcase 95. Before I head out, I just want to pump a couple of other great sources of Legion fandom out there. I was asked to guest on a recent episode of the Legion of Substitute Podcasters, where I provide a little color commentary on an issue of Legion from the Baxter run back in the 80s. The subs, Darren, Paul, and Scott, are always a great listen. They... They've bounced all over Legion history, but are currently deep into one of the great Legion runs of all time, so check them out at com. Another great show is Eric and the Legion, which can be found at com. Eric has been reading through the adventure run of the Legion, so we're talking the mid-1960s. A different time, but real formative stuff is... Most recent episode covered the very first Legion casualty. Poor feral lad. Anyway, both those shows are actually linked on my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com. Uh, if you're interested in contacting me, you can leave a comment on the blog, um, where I'll be posting images from these two issues. You can check those out. Or you can email me at i'mthegun@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Or hit me up on Twitter where I post as at Mark Sweeney Jr. All right, the next reboot review is most likely two weeks away. So until then, LOL, live on Legion.